Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Tonight, we got to see the debut of these absolutely beautiful Playhouse-inspired jerseys, right? As well as the in-season tournament court at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Oh, and there was a basketball game played tonight, right? <laughs> the Cleveland Cavaliers took on the Detroit Pistons in a game in which the Pistons just wouldn't go away up until the very end, right? Cavs ended up walking away with a 108-100 to 100 victory over those pesky Pistons. And much like... The rest of this season, man, they were without some core pieces, right? No Isaac Okoro, no Ty Jerome, and joining them was Donovan Mitchell, right? And heading into tonight's matchup, I was looking for a few things in particular for the Cavs as a unit to execute on. Uh, Rebounding, obviously, was number one. Uh, There's a never-ending battle of the boards, right, with this team, which they have admittedly, honestly, been handling very well lately. Nevertheless, this team should always be uh, making this a point of emphasis, uh, to be honest with you. And, oh, my God, were they atrocious on the glass tonight, especially in the first half. They ended uh, ended up losing the rebounding battle 51 to 39 on the night. It was rough, but luckily it didn't hurt the Cavs too often uh, just because Detroit was unable to knock down as many shots to make them pay, right? They, they did not knock down a high number of those second chance opportunities. And the Cavs, on the other hand, knocked down theirs at a rather high clip. Um, Some of the boards were opportunistic, but others were obviously the result of poor positioning and a lack of effort, honestly. Astoundingly, uh, Detroit managed to out-rebound Cleveland 18-7. Yes, you heard that right. 18-7 on the offensive glass. (laughs) I I just cannot understand why, for the life of me, this this continues to be such a common occurrence. Uh, there were a ton of second chance opportunities for Detroit. Obviously, they didn't capitalize on it, all of them, but you just don't want to see that. Way, 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 way too many for my liking. And honestly, look, like, dude, when you have Jared Allen, when you have Evan Mobley, when you have those two guys in your starting lineup, you expect more. You honestly don't. At least I do. I don't care how undersized. Uh, undersized that we consider them three count them three different players for Detroit had 10 or more rebounds that cannot and should not be the case I don't give a damn like I said I do not give a damn how undersized this Cleveland team is and I know you know a lot of these teams that Cleveland has faced off against recently do have sort of a size advantage at the other positions maybe not necessarily in the front court at the four and the five spot but when you start looking at some of these guys, you know, your your SGAs, your uh, your <clears throat> Kate Cunningham's of the world, uh, your Tyrese Halliburton's, there are some tough uh, size disadvantages here, obviously, in the backcourt. But still, three different players ending up in double digits for Detroit on the, on the boards, you don't want to see that happen. Uh, the Cavs, I don't know what it is, but they got to shore that up. Outside of rebounding, I was really interested to see what the perimeter defense would look like tonight, uh, considering that they've struggled at various points to begin this pretty young season to contain the three ball, right? They have they have struggled defending the three ball at times. That said, Detroit came into the game ranked 27th in the NBA in terms of three-point attempts per game and 25th in three-point makes. 
But even with that being the case, when they do elect to shoot that type of shot, they're still somewhat dangerous, right? They currently rank 14th in three-point percentage. So defending the uh, three-point shot was going to prove absolutely necessary to stop the Pistons from going on runs or climbing back from deficits. And that's exactly what happened to the, in the third quarter, right? They, they got on sort of a run. Cleveland was able to match it with one of their own. But Detroit drew within four with little under four minutes left in the third uh, by knocking down some timely triples and making the most of some defensive lapses uh, on Cleveland's part. And they would hang around for the rest of the game, like I said. They just they wouldn't go away. And if it's one thing that we know about this Detroit team, um, they're going to play hard, right? No, no matter who their opponent is, they're going to play hard. And I respect the hell out of them for that, to be honest with you. Um, honestly, I think they have some great young pieces themselves with Kate Cunningham, Azar Thompson, who had a pretty great game tonight himself, despite getting jammed on by Max Struess, who we'll talk about a little later, and Beef Stew on the roster. Right? They have some interesting pieces there. And Monty Williams has definitely uh, has these dudes playing hard, right? He has them playing as a unit, and I have nothing but respect for that because they look like they have a pretty solid future in front of them. And then finally, the final thing that I was really looking for was the turnovers, right? Here's the thing. I knew heading into tonight with the news that Donovan Mitchell would be joining the likes of Isaac and Ty, uh, that not turning the ball over at a high rate would be a key factor in this game. It was going to be of key importance considering that Mitchell, and I'm not joking when I say this, Mitchell is literally providing damn near a fourth of the offensive production himself. I'm not kidding when I say that. He's averaging over 29.2 points per game on the season, and the Cavs as a whole are averaging 110, uh, 110.5 points per game. So he's literally out there giving Cleveland basically 25% of its offensive production. So missing him, that's a pretty big loss. Um, it's not necessarily, and do, don't take this as a slight, right? It's not necessarily like losing Isaac Okoro, who is a terrific defender and has looked much better offensively with the increased pace, right? And a little bit more confidence. It's a different thing uh, when you're missing that, but it's it, it takes it to an entirely different level when you miss the likes of Donovan Mitchell, who is such a needed uh, a needed source of production in that Cavs lineup. So I was very curious to see uh, how they would fare in regards to turnovers, considering that Darius Garland, uh, Max Struess, uh, uh, Craig Porter Jr., who we'll talk about a little bit later, all would have increased uh, playmaking duties, right? And so how did they fare? Well, tonight I actually thought they did pretty well, despite some individual turnovers. Um, turn the ball over just 12 times to Detroit 17, which you absolutely like to see. Uh, and at this point, we probably should go ahead and discuss Darius Garland, who many people, I don't know if you guys have seen this as much as I have, because it's, it's on my timeline a little bit more consistently than I would like to admit. But a lot of people seem to have turned on Darius Garland, like just seven games. I think this is, I think tonight was just his seventh appearance and people are, seemingly already ready to ship him out of town because of the slow start that he has. Um, I've seen just some disgusting things being said about him. And again, some of it is warranted. DG has started the season turning the ball over at an alarming rate. Uh, the the three-point percentage was down in the dumps. Uh, but as of late, he's actually played really, really well. Um, and tonight I thought he had pretty good game, all things considered. Uh, he did turn the ball over five times. He turned the ball over five times, 
But at the same time, he scored 28, dished out three assists, grabbed three boards. Um, and to me, for Darius, it's all about a it's all about whether or not he actually outweighs the turnovers, right? If you're able to give more production than you give away, right? If you turn the ball over five times, but at the same time, you're scoring damn near 30 points like you did tonight, you can live with the turnovers, especially if Donovan Mitchell's not out there and you are constantly being counted on to run the offense. DG did that tonight. The assist numbers may not be where you like them to be, just three tonight, but at the same time, Guy was counted on to be the primary source of offensive production. And I see some of the things being said down here. Pranav, Sivaram, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, DG's turnovers are a little concerning at this point. Not turning on him, just uncharacteristic. So I'll say this. Again, some of the criticism is warranted. Like I said, some of the turnovers have been pretty eye-popping in regards to how lackadaisical some of the passes that he's uh, that he's made have been some of them are definitely things that can be fixed right um, as the primary ball handler there's inherent amount of turnovers that you're going to have it's going to happen um, but as you said down there Pranav not turning on him it's just uncharacteristic but like I said it's not all criticism that's valid that's valid there are some abysmal things that I've seen people say about Darius though he ain't that guy. He doesn't help this team. Let's trade him. Yada, yada, yada. I continue to see some, some bullshit, frankly. Um, K-Dude says his shooting for me wasn't a issue. It looks a lot like it looks like a lot of his turnovers are lazy and low effort passes. I agree with that. Again, that is valid criticism. These are things that are, you know, you can clean up. Very, very easily fixed if he focuses a little bit more uh there's a little bit more decisive in his passes i feel like the turnovers will cut down and tonight while he did turn the ball over five times i can let that go considering that he was able to outdo that right from an offensive end uh tune in sports one says down here dg not going nowhere he here to stay yeah, I get the feeling Darius Garland loves Cleveland, right? He, he wants to be here. He's got the massive contract. Uh, but for some reason, some fans are just so ready to flip on him through such a small sample game, uh, sample size. I just don't understand it. I never have. And this is not just something that's specific to Cleveland, uh, you know, as a fan base. All fan bases do this, right? Everybody does this once a guy goes through a, a rough patch or something like that, especially at the start of the year. And I know emotions are kind of running high considering how the Cavs have started this season from an injury perspective. Uh, and Dr. Call down here says the team has execution issues. Things were getting scary when the Cavs let threes go off the break again. Rebounding wasn't great. Yeah, uh, Dr. Call, I don't know if you just joined, but definitely – uh, pointed that out earlier. Cavs lost the rebounding battle 51 to 39 and an even worse 18 to 7 on the offensive glass. Way too many offense, uh, way too many offensive rebounds, way too many second chance opportunities. Fortunately for Cleveland, uh, Detroit, again, they didn't capitalize on uh, and enough of those to make it count, right? They shot 43% from the field and 26% from three point distance. Um, so, didn't necessarily burn the Cavs too much, but you can't get away with this type of uh, lack of production on the glass against some of the better teams. You can get away with it against a lowly Detroit Pistons team, but you can't necessarily have, as Pranav down here says, 
uh, essentially two seven footers, uh, but getting e- out rebounded so often. Yeah, you cannot have that. I, I wholeheartedly agree that is valid criticism. Uh, DG still trying for that rim pressure, but he ends up with nowhere to go with the ball. Yeah, that ends up happening a lot. Uh, in previous seasons, what we would end up seeing is a dump off, right? So one of the bigs in Darius Garland, uh, in Jared Allen, rather, or Evan Mobley, but that just hasn't been the case uh, to begin the season for those three. Um, we saw Karras do it a lot. He continues to do that. Donovan Mitchell has been able to do a little bit more often, but Kerry, uh, Darius Garland used to be so adept at that. Um, and I say that lightly just because I feel like it's still in his game. Just got to give him some more time. Um, I still feel like the hammy is still still kind of bothering him because I don't really feel like the lateral movement is where it was uh, last season. So still trying to be patient with him, but uh, to see him put up 28 points tonight, lead the Cavs in scoring, absolutely phenomenal. Um, Darius Garland definitely had a, a pretty solid game. It wasn't anything to write home about, uh, but he was efficient, right? 10 of 19 from the floor, 2 of 5 from three-point distance, and 6 of 8 from the free throw line. And you know, that's all you can ask at this point in time, especially when you don't have Donovan Mitchell out there. But obviously, Darius Garland was not the only guy out there playing tonight, right? We got to talk about Max Struess, 18 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 7 of 15 from the field, including 4 of 8 from 3-point distance and 4 steals on the night. We keep talking about Karis Levert's 2-way play. Let's talk about Max Struess looking a lot better <laughs> Uh, you know, on the defensive end, uh, a lot more than I thought we were bargaining for here when we when we uh, acquired him. Right? If it's not apparent to you the impact that Max Struess has on the floor spacing, really just the motion of this offense, right? Especially in the half court, um, some of the setups that he's able to generate, very very important and vital, especially when this team becomes uh, at full strength again, right? The DHOs, some of the connections that he's made from a chemistry standpoint with Evan Mobley in particular and somewhat Jared Allen, a very, very cool development to see. No doubt, uh, you know, thanks to his play alongside Bam Adebayo, as I continue to say, and playing within that Miami Heat offense, he's brought all that to the table and more, uh, you know, for Cleveland as uh, K-Dude says down here, I did not know Struess had all of this in his game, not going to lie. $16 million for this is a bargain. You are absolutely 100% motherfucking correct because some of these contracts that's been handed out, even if you feel that Struess uh, was not worth that amount of money that he received, you got to – at this point, you just have to admit to yourself that uh, Struess, his, his deal is going to look like an absolute steal when lined up against the backdrop of some of these contracts that were given out this past offseason. He's, he's really averaging career highs across the board. Um, the shooting percentages are starting to go up. The three ball is starting to drop, as you see tonight. Uh, we, we know one thing about Struess, right, especially coming into the season, was that very, very solid movement shooter, and he can be streaky at times. Uh, finished last season at 35% from three-point distance. But this year, man, although the three-ball has been hit and miss to begin the season, um, it was hit tonight, four of eight from distance. And although that's the case, and he can be up and down in terms of his shooting, he's brought so much else to the table that it really hasn't bothered me, right? The, the low the low shooting percentages at times, it don't bother me as much as long as the, the ball is constantly moving. The, he's generating gravity and he's pulling guys out into outside the painted area and 
defenses legitimately have to pay attention to him out there. That's an element that Cleveland just didn't have last year while starting Levert and Okoro, uh, you know, whoever else was out there, whether it be Lamar Stevens or Jetty Osmond at points. Um, they just didn't have that. And now they do with Struess at that small forward position. And to be able to get all of that production from him offensively whilst getting an underrated defense, as Tom K says down here, and Struess defense is solid enough too. Yeah, um, you know, it's not all defense, right? It's not all defense level, but it's passable. And that's what you want, right? That was the initial trade-off for this team, if I'm not mistaken, heading into this year, slotting Struess into that starting lineup. You knew that you were going to be taking somewhat of a hit to your perimeter defense by subbing him in for Levert, who had a very uh, very good season from a defensive standpoint last year, and Isaac Okoro, right? Uh, you knew you were going to be losing something on the defensive end, but for Struess to be a passable defender at the small fort position – a position at which he is considered undersized that listed at six, five, if I'm not mistaken, it's been solid. Not, nothing to write home about, right? There, there are going to be these games, you know, as K dude says down here, four steals and one block is crazy. He's already had a, a handful of these types of games this season. And he's going to, there is no doubt about it. He is going to average career highs across the board. And he has definitely proven that he has far more than just a shooter. Um, you know, Coming from Miami, the big trope, right? We all know it. <laughs> we all know it. The big trope is system guy. Guys from Miami, once they leave Miami, don't succeed, right? Uh, we've seen far too many examples of that being the case. It's not. It's not with Struess. We got lucky. Yes, it's a pretty small sample size, uh, but the Cavs, man, they, they, they got a solid one. They got a really, really good one. In Max Struess, and as uh, TuneIn says down here, Struess over Jetty. I said it. No shade, though. It's okay, man. No shade needed. That's okay. That is that is a perfectly fine statement to say. Don't feel bad about it. It doesn't have to be shade. Uh, Jetty, fine role player in his own right. Looks pretty good for the Spurs this season. But you can't you can't really you can't fathom prior to this season that Max Struess was going to be giving us this type of production. Jetty never could. And he just, honestly, this is not necessarily something that uh, I could have ever seen Jetty doing. So no shade there. Uh, And also says it's the effort too. He brings everything he has all the time. Yes. Uh, In addition to the leadership, right? The effort is always there, but the accountability, the leadership that he's already shown, phenomenal. Cavs absolutely needed it there. Um, you know, Darius, Max, those guys were great tonight. But, man, I cannot go any further until I just bring up one name, right? And that is Craig Porter Jr. Oh, my fucking God. This kid, man. And I don't even know if I feel right saying kid for him because he's an older rookie, right? There's only about seven years, I think, separating me and Craig Porter Jr. So you know what? This this man, Craig Porter Jr., this rookie, this undrafted free agent that Cleveland signed, and Kobe has been pretty damn good at finding some uh, some some guys out there that can provide you some production. Has he hit on every single pick? No. But these undrafted guys, man, you're talking about getting – uh, guys who come into the lineup and initially make some type of impact, right? You got Lamar Stevens came in and did it. Dean Wade did it. Uh, Craig Porter Jr. looks to be doing it now. Amani Bates, 
there's a lot to be excited about in this young man. The fact that he played 16 minutes. This man played 16 minutes and gave the Cavs 12 points, three rebounds, five assists. He was five and nine from the field and stole the ball. And excellent on both ends of the court, right? How can you deny at this point? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just overreacting because it is Detroit, right? We had the same conversation, uh, you know, about Imani Bates after he exploded, uh, you know, in, in the G League, you know, in his in his G League debut. And we had the conversation the other day after Cleveland ended up beating Portland, uh, you know, sans Darius Garland about, hey, you know, let's not overreact to some of these things that we're seeing because it's just the one game sample size against a pretty lowly team. But I have to admit, man, Craig Porter Jr. at this point, I am completely sold on him as a rotation piece. I, I, I cannot say that enough. Um, you know, Ty Jerome could end up being a victim of injury, right? He could seriously end up being a victim of just not being available. Craig Porter Jr. has picked up the baton and he has hit the ground running. Phenomenal. He was great in summer league. <laughs> uh, you know, you, he gave you some solid production in the preseason. And now in every performance that he's had to begin this season, he's been phenomenal. He's made the most of his time out there. And here's the dilemma. Like, we, I, I got to call a spade a spade here. The dilemma is the fact that he plays guard right? Point guard at that. And he's considered undersized at, I believe, just 6'2". Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro when he turns to full strength, uh, Max Struess because he'll play some minutes at the two guard. All of those guys are ahead of him. That's without mentioning Ty Jerome or Ricky Rubio, who is a distant afterthought at this moment dealing with the mental health, right? All of those guys, technically, maybe with the, with the exception of Rubio, right? Um, all of those guys are technically ahead of him on the depth chart. And Ty is probably starting to look like the uh, the man on the outside looking in at this point with the way that Craig has played. But that's the dilemma that Craig Porter Jr. finds himself in right now. It's one thing to perform very well and, you know, in spot appearances when the team is not at full strength. But I got to say, man, every opportunity that he's had, he's been impactful. So if he continues to make this a consistent thing, one of those guys might find themselves on the bench. It's not going to be Darius. It's most certainly not going to be Donovan, obviously. It's not going to be Karis. The guys that could potentially eventually end up being on, you know, bench type of territory on the bubble, you know, kind of thing are going to – no doubt be Isaac Okoro and Ty Jerome. Um, and probably more so Ty Jerome, right? Isaac Okoro is, is bigger. He's a dependable defender, if not the Cavs' best point of attack defenders out there. Uh, but obviously with Craig Porter Jr. being able to do things, uh, you know, a little bit more consistently on the offensive end, time will tell. I am just so damn impressed with this this man's ability to impact the game in such small spurts. And at this point, right, the Cavs have an open roster spot. They have Craig on that two-way deal. Do they consider converting him? 
Because if I'm not mistaken, I don't necessarily think we've seen him in the G League yet. I don't think he's played a minute yet. I could be mis- uh, I could be mistaken on that. You know, feel free to correct me if I'm not. Uh, you know, if I am rather in the comments, but I don't think we've actually seen him play a minute for the charge just yet, like we have with Amani and Isaiah. Um, I'm just at the point now where I'm just like, man, he's just in a from a uh, positional standpoint, he's just got so many hurdles to climb. It's not his play. It's not the fact that he sucks or anything like that because he looked damn impactful every single minute that he's out there. It's the simple fact of the position that he plays and the fact that there are guys out there that are still outperforming him and have done so at a higher level, right? When you're talking about Darius, when you're talking about Donovan, when you're talking about Karis, Isaac, um, and then, you know, Struess again, who's going to see his fair share of minutes at the two guard, not just small forward. Um, just tough, man. Tough. How do you, you you see him go out there and give you this level of production and just not <laughs> um, not getting a consistent role? And I know a lot of people, just like I've already seen tonight with some of the overreactions, people are going to want to say, what the fuck is JB doing? JB absolutely has to play this, this man. I was going to say kid. I'm not. I'll fight it. Um, he absolutely has to play him when, honestly, it's tough. It's going to be damn tough, especially as the rotation kind of whittles down to your more consistent eight to nine man as the postseason approaches, right? If if JB elects to go 10 or 11 deep, there is no question that Craig Porter Jr. should see nightly action. But as the rotation kind of whittles itself down to those eight or nine, um, come the playoffs, Craig is not likely to see the court um, outside of maybe your change of pace kind of option. Uh, and, and that sucks, but again, he's a two way. There's a, there's unless converted, he won't play in the playoffs anyways. Right. Um, and then it all just boils down to, Hey, do the Cavs feel more comfortable converting Craig Porter jr. Or Amani Bates or even Isaiah Mobley, right. At this point, I'd say as of right now, of those three, Craig Porter jr. Is the most NBA ready of the three, just because, his game, uh, you know, it has been able to evolve and um, cook a little bit more, you know, at the collegiate level uh, than either um, either Amani or Isaiah, right? Um, we've seen how much success that Isaiah has had within the G League already uh, dating back to last season. But if, I got to be honest, man. Craig looks like the most pro-ready of the, of the three two-ways. And I have no qualms with saying that his game looks like it is going to translate well. The only thing that we still have yet to see from this young man is the perimeter shot. That's the only thing holding his game back right now. That's the only thing. And if he could do that, JB would probably elect to play him every single time he could, right? Yeah, he would be a no brainer option off that Cavalier bench if he could knock down a three point shot. Uh, but he's not taking him, right? Most of his his game at this point in time, and all before I say this, I'll add that it's been it's been efficient, right? But his game at this point consists of driving, uh, operating the pick and roll, which he's done very well, and taking a a couple of turnaround jumpers, right? A couple of fadeaways, which have worked. Um, he's attacking down low, uh, something that people have been clamoring for years for Darius Garland to do. But uh, yeah, as TuneIn Sports down here, like 
like a Rondo type player right now. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, one of his idols, one of the guys that he kind of modeled his game after was Rondo, if I'm not mistaken. I think I've heard him say that a time or two, but uh, yeah, very Rondo like um, sees the floor very well dished out five assists tonight. And he has obviously um, he has the vision. He, he, he hustles, he plays hard on the defensive end and he can score. Uh, you know, at least on the inside. And you can operate within the confines of the pick and roll, which is very good, especially considering that's kind of how the Cavs operate, right? They run so many pick and roll sets. Um, just can't say enough good things about Craig Porter Jr. Um, back to Struess for one second, because I know that I neglected one aspect of tonight that lit the whole arena up, right? Set the whole damn court on fire when Max Struess rose up for a jam, a poster dunk on rookie Asar Thompson. His welcome to the NBA moment. My God, Struess is making a habit out of doing that, right? Maybe not necessarily poster dunks, but some some loud jams out there. Um, certainly didn't see that in his game uh, come from Miami. He had a couple of nice dunks last season, but I mean... He's done this now, if I'm not mistaken, in back-to-back games for Cleveland, which has just been phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, the poster jam number two now. My God, Struess, man. He's just been a revelation for this Cavaliers team. And, and that dunk, that was probably the coolest thing we saw you know, we saw all night. And that includes the play from, uh, from Craig Porter Jr., who, who was excellent tonight. But from an individual possession standpoint – that was just as good as it gets. <laughs> um, the guy just never ceases to amaze me with what he's able to bring to the table. Um, Tunis says, I didn't know JB knew what a challenge was. Glad he finally used one, even though it still wasn't in our favor. Yeah, th- that's a constant complaint with JB is that he either waits a little too long to use a possession or he just does it outright. Um, yeah, I'm often frustrated about that too. Um, you know, this is coming from a very supportive fan of jb bickerstaff uh but yeah that is definitely a complaint it's up there and it's valid criticism uh, much like what was said about darius garland earlier and jared allen evan mobley in regards to rebounding these are things that jb as a coach has to work on because as we all know just like players coaches have things that they need to improve on too that remains true for jb bickerstaff who is an imperfect coach at this point in time Uh, i will say this the Cavs, prior to tonight, they had been on this very wishy-washy kind of trend of win-loss, 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 uh, win. Tonight, they broke that curse, right? Now it's win-loss, win-loss, win-win. So that makes me feel very, very good, uh, even if it's just a small victory, right? Um, Cavs are now at 500, heading to, I believe, Denver. I think Denver's next up at uh at home but uh man very very good win tonight uh and that's without even mentioning some of these other things on here like evan mobley's play tonight who my god if tonight didn't impress you with evan mobley who had 10 points or 18 points 10 rebounds and five assists uh with to go along with the steal on eight of 12 a very efficient eight of 12 might i add if tonight did not impress you uh, from just a very good all-around game from Mobley. I don't know what else to say, right? I don't know what people are expecting of Mobley. Um, you know, on a night where Donovan Mitchell is not out there, I understand the sentiment. Like, Mobley go out there and get us 20 and 10. It's damn close, right? 
They're, they're, the, the passing is definitely there. As uh, K-Dude, uh, K-Dude says down here, he finally started jumping on his mid-range. Yeah, I saw that. I'm glad I was the only person to see that. Um, I've really been pining for him to uh, use his floater a little bit more just because I feel like that's such an underrated part of his game if he would just lean into it a little bit more. Um, but I just don't ex- – I don't know what people are expecting from Mobley when he's giving you very, very solid production. He is, as I continue to say, the kid is a walking double-double. Even if you feel like he's added nothing to his game from an offensive bag standpoint – um, he's a walking double double and he can stumble his way to them at this point. Um, don't know what else I can say about it, man. There, obviously, the rebounding as a team was atrocious, but Mobley did lead the way with 10 boards on the night. He was out there battling with Beef Stew, uh, Isaiah Stewart for the Pistons. Uh, but man, just a, a pretty pretty good all-around game from him and he continues to facilitate at a rather high level for his position um okay dude says it seems like he isn't that aggressive sometimes and wants to make the right play instead of scoring himself so here's the thing like what i've often said about mobley is that he can be indecisive after receiving the ball right especially when he's down in the low post or if he's making his way to the basket instead of being aggressive like you said down there um what he'll elect to do is try to put guys in position. He'll try and move the ball when he really should just take the shot, right? Or try and elect to drive inside. That is a complaint. It's valid criticism, something that we want to see him work on as he gets, uh, you know, deeper into his NBA career. But tonight I didn't necessarily feel like that was an issue. I feel like he actually did attack at certain points. And I feel like when he saw mismatches or uh, advantages that favored him, he, he took advantage of them. Which, which is what you wanted to see, right? Um, you know, when you look at the Cavaliers bench here, just to kind of shift gears, a couple of things that stick out to me. One, obviously, um, Karis LeVert played 33 minutes tonight, just had 10 points on a pretty bad 4-14 from the field. And here's the thing, right? We know with Karis, the shot will come and go and that he is prone to general inconsistency from a scoring uh, aspect. But... On a night when you're 414 and you still finish plus 11, I, that's a small victory, right? He didn't necessarily hit down nearly as many shots as you would have wanted him to, but he gave you solid scoring production off the bench. Um, and then you look at George Niang, right? Who people have just been shitting on, right? Max Struess has exploded out of the gate, but George Niang has kind of been the addition where you're just like, Man, when is the shot going to start to fall? Or it, is it really worth it to play him uh, as much as he's been playing? Because Niang played 27 minutes tonight. Tonight was a good game. Tonight was a very good game for Niang off that bench. 9.7 boards. Very impressed by the rebounds, by the way. Niang is averaging a career high in rebounds this season. Um, just took four shot attempts tonight. Three of four from the field. One of one. That's pretty um, pretty astounding to me. Niang only took one three-point attempt. Uh, and then two free throws. And one thing that you guys have probably continuously heard me say about Niang is I absolutely hate when he drives the basketball. He actually made he actually made one or two tonight, right? Uh, when he drove in. Uh, but just the general spacing that he provides. And as K Dude says down here, same with Struce, Levert, and Struce do way too much great things for this team to worry about bad shooting nights. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I haven't been too hard on 
Niang just because I feel like the overall what you're having him out there for is for two simple things, right? His his gravity or his ability to knock down the three uh, three point shot and the defenses need to respect that, and two because he can actually give you minutes at the power forward position. Those are the two reasons primarily why Niang is out there f- for as long as he is. His ability to man the four and his ability to knock down the three ball. Whatever else you're getting from him, just gravy on top, right? The rebounding, that's great. He's not Kevin Love out there rebounding the basketball, but he's done a very solid job, more than I expected from him. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, um, I didn't necessarily think he would be a all-defense-level defend- uh, all type of defender, um, and he hasn't been, right? But he has been solid enough in one-on-one uh, scenarios that he's often makes up for whatever liabilities that he gives up on that end, right? And tonight was a perfect example of that. He did his job off that bench. So hopefully we see more nights like these as time goes on, uh, but that remains to be seen. And then last but certainly uh, not least is the fact that JB elected to go just eight deep tonight with Craig Porter Jr. being that eighth man. Um, just 16 minutes on a night, and we've already talked about the level of production that he's provided. But I was a little surprised that JB only operated uh, with with eight men primarily tonight when you still had Tristan Thompson off the bench, um, which to me, like if you're struggling from a rebounding standpoint, why not give Thompson a few more minutes? But, you know, we won, so I'm not going to complain too much. Um, obviously, Damian Jones is basically out of the rotation at this point and has been basically since the start of the year. Um, and then Amani Bates, the other rookie, uh, you know, the two-way guy. So if you if your one complaint tonight off that Cavalier bench is that we didn't get to see enough of guys like Amani Bates or Tristan Thompson or something like that, and this is without even mentioning Sam Merrill, mind you, um, I, I hear you, but at the same time, it's hard to complain too much when you're winning, Right. And one of the things that I kind of applaud JB for, as you know, a lot of people don't want to give him his praise, is the fact that he has allowed. We we know how much, um, we know how much Karis LeVert's role fluctuated last season, right? We know how many different positions he played for them. We know how versatile he can be, but it, sometimes it came at his own detriment. And so having him stick to one primary job, right? allowing him to get comfortable where he's at off that Cavalier bench and not ruining his chances at winning six man of the year. Right. Um, that's, it's been good for him. And so I applaud JB for kind of sticking to his guns with that as Dr. Claw 77 says down here, Wade must've only had a few minutes love. He got the three ball off. Great ball movement. Yeah, Wade only played 22 minutes tonight coming off a game in which I think he played 32 minutes against Portland. Um, just three points tonight on that one field goal attempt. And here again, here's the thing with Dean Wade. I think a lot of people don't understand this or just don't care to, um, Dean is not out there to score a ton of points, right? Um, Dr. Claw, I know, you know, that we've talked about this ad nauseum in some of the chats that we're in, right? But, um, the average viewer just doesn't seem to understand that Dean Wade's job is not necessarily to score a ton of points. He's out there to defend. He's out there to rebound, and basically give you minutes at the four and five spots and occasionally the three, right? Um, that's his job. He, he'll probably never get more than three to five shot attempts a game. And that's in a game, mind you, when we're missing some pieces. 
when the team is at full strength, the ball might only swing his way a, f- a handful of times, right? That's just the life of a role player, uh, you know, in today's NBA. You just never know when you're going to be called upon. And for Wade, when he's out there, when he's healthy, and most importantly, when he's confident, he'll give you solid production. You don't want to overplay him. I think 22 minutes is fine. Uh, you know, but when you when you view that against the backdrop of what the other starters played, right? Like Max Struess, who again, I said this last pod, Max is leading the Cavs in minutes this season. Um, he played 39 tonight. Evan got 35. Get, uh, Darius coming back from injury, 34. And then Jared Allen, you know, still appearing to be somewhat on a minutes restriction. I could be mistaken on that. Uh, played 32. And then you look at the Cavaliers bench, right? Levert got 33. He is basically, as I continue to say, he is your sixth starter. So uh, when you when you view Wade's minutes against that, it doesn't look great. It doesn't look like JB had a lot of confidence in him, but that just wasn't the case. Um, it's just the ebbs and flows of being a role player. And JB recognizing what guys' strengths and weaknesses are in that starting unit and trying to, you know, lean into the guys that he trusts right tonight niang was playing well so you kept niang out there for a little longer yeah levert is still a shot creator and you don't have donovan mitchell out there so yes you're going to lean on karis levert and then craig porter jr craig's playing so damn well you put him in lineups out there with darius garland right you have him out there with karis levert it looks good it looks good so props to JB for making that adjustment tonight, giving Craig the chance. Um, in sports down here says the Dean Wade hate will continue. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I don't, there's just not enough things that I can say to change people's minds on Dean. I, I, it's an uphill battle. And honestly, it's probably a losing battle at this point, not because of Wade's play, but just because the average viewer thinks that scoring is everything. <laughs> um, I, I really can't say anything else to the contrary. That's just what it often seems like. But overall on the night, man, it was very, very solid. I'm very, very impressed with just about every aspect of this team. Um, you know, say what you will, but the Cavaliers have managed to navigate some of these injuries or some of the, yeah, really some of this early season injury luck pretty well, right? Tonight's when as of right now, um, you know, with some games still pending, that puts Cleveland at ninth in the East at six and six. And, you know, we knew this Eastern Conference, man, it is not your father's Eastern Conference. This is different. This is this is a conference that features teams that will go out there and give you a rough matchup every single time you're out there. Even Detroit now sits at two and eleven. They're gonna play you hard. We saw what uh you know, what some of these other teams have been able to do to Cleveland to begin the year. But this is a game that the Cavs were expected to win, and damn it, they went out there and did that. And it feels good because they've been able to win back-to-back games finally. I love it. I love it. It gives me confidence heading into this matchup with uh, with Denver looming in the distance and it reigns to be seen. I think, I think Denver might still be without Jamal Murray, which might help, right? Uh, but uh, it remains to be seen what the injury report is going to look like on Cleveland's end. Will Isaac Okoro still be out? Will Derry, uh, will Donovan Mitchell rather still be out? Will Ty Jerome eventually play? These are all questions that uh, will be answered when tip off begins against Denver. 
As I always tell you guys, if you like to reach out to me, you know how you can. It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot, a separate review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and I will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good weekend.